engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. It is nine after the hour on Monday, September 25th. 2017, Donald Trump has been President of the United States for exactly eight months, five days, and five hours, ten minutes. I never would have guessed that he would already have the left on their knees before him in America. And yet, I mean, this, folks... The left is not going to be able to win this fight with Donald Trump. They are literally on their knees and they think they're protesting Donald Trump. They're on their knees before Trump. Might as well be before Zod. Welcome, it's Eric Erickson here, News 955 AM 750 WSB, the phone number 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. This isn't a fight that the left can win. And I know they think they can, uh, but all they're going to do is get Donald Trump reelected. Let's let's walk through this. And it, by the way, there's lots of other news out there, and I don't want to. Uh, I, in fact, you know, earlier today at the Resurgent, I asked our writers at theresurgent.com to stop writing about anything other than Puerto Rico. I actually think that Puerto Rico and what's happening there is the biggest story of the day. The problem is that. All of the power is out in Puerto Rico, and news is coming out of there very, very slowly. It is a humanitarian disaster, though. If you go to theresurgent.com, we have put up links to the Salvation Army, Samaritan's Purse, and other charitable organizations where you can contribute. These people are Americans. It may be an island, a commonwealth that people don't often think of as Americans. There are millions of Americans on Puerto Rico, and they desperately need help. Samaritan's Purse, in fact, has taken a DC-8 plane and they have worked with local authorities to clear runways and Samaritan's Purse is running supplies from South Florida to the Caribbean. Uh, and not just Puerto Rico, they're landing in the Virgin Islands, Bar- Barbuda, the rest of them. Uh, Samaritan's Purse, a Christian organization, moving faster, delivering more supplies than the military right now. Uh, Good for them. We will get into all of that. But, uh, you know, as far as the media is concerned, this really is a big story. And it really is just amazing to watch the left that really wanted to boycott the NFL because of Colin Kaepernick and now can't because of Donald Trump. And they're in an interesting position where they believe that if you oppose kneeling, You support Donald Trump. It has nothing to do with the flag for them. They have taken patriotism out of it because of the president. Did you see uh, Bob Kraft's statement from from the Patriots? He has submitted that the president has unfortunately introduced politics into the NFL. See, this is why they can't win this. Because the overwhelming majority of Americans recognize that it wasn't the president who introduced politics into this. It was the left and the president is just responding to it. That's why they can't win. So what are they going to do? They're they're either going to stay on their knees, in which point the president gets to say that they're kneeling before him. They stop playing the national anthem in which the president gets to attack them as anti-American and the other sports teams and, and sports out there get to capitalize on it. 
or they cave, in which point the president gives them a win. If the protests keep continuing, the ratings keep going down. The NFL ratings are going down. Look at Al Villanova, his jersey, the number one selling jersey in the NFL now. His own coach attacking him for daring to stand for the national anthem. There's no way the NFL wins this. It just proves him to be a bunch of millionaires out of touch with your average ordinary citizen. And there's a racial component to this that no one else is talking about. So the the media has really, really wanted to play up the fact that the president has attacked uh, multiple black professional athletes and pundits. Uh, Jamel Hill on CNN, Steph Curry, LeBron James. He's gone after them all. Uh, by the way, uh, you know, Steph Curry com- campaigned for Hillary Clinton in Ohio, uh, and it didn't do any good. LeBron James as well, I believe, uh, campaigned in multiple places for Hillary Clinton. Uh, and every place that they camp, Steph Curry and LeBron James campaigned for Hillary Clinton, she lost. Now, here's the thing. There is a racial element to this, but it's one that the left doesn't want to focus on. I I will acknowledge and agree that there are a sizable number of black and Hispanic voters that don't like President Trump. And there are a sizable number of black and Hispanic voters who think he, he gives lip service to white nationalists. But here is another issue that the left doesn't think about is that in their day-to-day existence, the president of the United States has done nothing to affect negatively their daily lives, black or Hispanic voters, unless they're illegal aliens. And believe it or not, despite what the media says, most legal Hispanic residents in this country are as hostile to illegal immigration as you are because they took the time to do it legally. So the ones whose lives are disrupted are the ones who can't vote anyway. But it is not, and pay attention to me here. This isn't a nuanced point, but I'm finding it going over people's head and it shouldn't. It is not Donald Trump who has pursued policies that force a Hispanic dad or a black mother to question whether or not she can take her daughter or his daughter to the bathroom at Target. That's the left. It is not Donald Trump who has pursued policies that have destroyed the local elementary school that would otherwise benefit black and Hispanic parents. That is the left. It is not Donald Trump that has I've got these braces in pursued policies. In particular, a massive increase in the minimum wage that does nothing but cause black and Hispanic young men to go unemployed as they are replaced by robots. That would be the left. See, Donald Trump may leave lots of the upper income white liberals in America feeling like they're in an existential threat. But he doesn't affect black and Hispanic voters that way. And you can sit there and say, well, how do you know? You're, you're not black. You're not Hispanic. Oh, but I have plenty of friends who are in the middle class. They're not rich. They're not the activists. They're not the people on TV. They're the neighbor. They're the friend. They're the yard man. They're the people I go to church with. 
They're the people I used to represent as a lawyer that I keep in touch with. None of them liked the president. None of them voted for the president. But they don't look at the president and see existential threat. More and more, they see the people they have been voting for, the Barack Obamas and the Hillary Clintons of the world, aligning against their values. And they don't see that with Donald Trump. So for left-wing activists to tell them that they either have to take a knee or they're with Donald Trump, they're thinking, no, I don't. I'm with America. And if Donald Trump is on the side of America, then I guess I'm on the side of Donald Trump, whether I want to be or not. And they can rationalize it as a broke clock, right twice. They can do all sorts of rationalizations there. But they know whose side they're on. Let, let me, before I get out of here, an, an email from a friend of mine. Nearly the entirety of American history resolves to the argument over whether the Declaration of Independence is true. If all men are created equal and the sole legitimate purpose of government is to secure liberties conferred by a creator, then those premises yield a series of imperatives that tend inexorably to the expansion of the American promise to all men of all origins. This is not a new observation. To the contrary, it has been the engine of our life as a free people. To paraphrase Furling in his epic 2015 whirlwind, the American Revolution did not end monstrous injustices like slavery, and by implication, every social societal oppression rooted in a denial of man's nature, but it made inevitable their end. Throughout the history of the Republic, we see Americans return again and again to this, that however awful the circumstantial particulars of America, the only hope is the fulfillment of the aspirational idea of America. So we see Frederick Douglass, a former slave at the apogee of slave power, declare the Constitution a glorious liberty document. We see Abraham Lincoln conclude the declaration inexorably moves his governance to the end of enslavement. We see Jose de la Luz Senez, I've never heard of this guy, a South Texas school teacher in a decade when the Texas Rangers waged a campaign of murder and terror against Mexican-Americans like him respond with enthusiasm to his draft notice for World War I and exhort his students to remember George Washington in Valley Forge. We see Martin Luther King Jr. ascend the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, declare he's come to redeem the promissory note of the American founding. We see my father, who attended a segregated elementary school in the Rio Grande Valley, told as a child that as a Mexican, he should be realistic about his prospects in life, join the U.S. Air Force, serve American war and peace. On the other side, we have these Americans. They see America and her imperfections with immediacy, and pain, but they also see the idea and symbols of America, and they understand that these are for them too. And they know that their only recourse is to appeal to heaven, and the appeal to centuries who have argued implicitly or explicitly that the Declaration of Independence is a lie, either because its core assertions are false or because America is so corrupted by its nature that those assertions are effectively fiction, unfulfillable, and kept vital as an opiate for the masses. So on the one hand, you have the founders, Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, Martin Luther King, and every single man and woman who saw the flag or read the Declaration and believed that it too was for them and their children. On the other hand, you have King George III, John C. Calhoun, the Confederate States of America, the alt-right, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. You choose which side you're going to be on. It is 27 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404 872 750 1 800 
WSB Talk. I, I Several listeners had asked me if I would do this. I was actually going to do this anyway. I was just going to do it tomorrow and decided I'd go on and do it today. Um, for those of you who subscribe to the podcast, uh, in addition to getting the show, I also do additional podcasting material just for the podcast listeners. Um, that is, well, a extra stuff that would add here but we just we don't have the clock for it or it's not necessarily appropriate here like for today uh i have recorded a a standalone podcast on basically explaining what's happening um from my christian worldview uh from my faith-based perspective as opposed to just the daily news grind the the higher order picture here uh what the heck is going on uh if you want to get a copy of it and also what you can do about it for your family and stuff uh text the word show s-h-o-w to 444-999 we'll be back with the nfl some more Forty after the hour, Eric Erickson here. Now, listen, I I, I want to do something if you'll allow, and that is I want to save the phone calls because a lot of you want to talk about the NFL issue, and there are other important stories that are getting crowded out by the NFL issue, including one that should be getting a ton of attention uh, but is not, and you probably are aware of it. And that is the shooting that happened at the Burnett Chapel Church of Christ uh, yesterday, where one person was killed, seven were injured, and uh, the shooter turns out to be a young immigrant from Sudan. Hmm. Now, why isn't this getting a lot of attention? Well, let's review the facts, shall we? One. This is a white congregation, predominantly white congregation. That's strike one. The shooter is an immigrant from Sudan. That's strike two. And though there were seven people shot and one person killed, which should give the media attention, the shooter was stopped by a 22-year-old who had a concealed carry permit. So three strikes it's out of the headlines. I mean, I hate to be that cynical, y'all, but you know it's true. I mean, you know it's true. In fact, there were reporters on social media acknowledging the fact that this is true. It is an inconvenient story because the Second Amendment worked the way it should have. The bad guy had the gun, but the good guy was able to stop him with the gun. The bad guy got his gun through unlawful means, it appears, based on the early reports. The good guy got his gun through lawful means. The bad guy is an immigrant from Sudan. I do not know whether he's Muslim or not. In fact, the police there are saying they actually don't believe this was Islamic related. They believe that the kid uh, just had issues. But because it was a concealed carry permit holder at the age of 22 who stopped a Sudanese immigrant from killing a bunch of white folks in a church of Christ, well, the media is not going to touch this story with a 10-foot pole. Why? Because 
it provides a defense for concealed carry permits, and they can't have that in the media. It provides a defense for those who want to get tough on immigration, and they can't have those. And it provides a perception until otherwise confirmed that this was an Islamic uh, radical trying to kill a bunch of Christians in America. And we can't have that in the media, that that would gin up Islamophobia. We can't have any of these stories in the press. This story reminds me of a story that leaked out of one of the UK newspapers today that one of the British universities has killed a study uh, that its science and psychology departments were tag-teaming. The One of the science departments and the psychology department had tag-teamed a study of people who had uh, gender reassignment surgeries and then converted back when it provided no relief for the gender dysphoria issues. So a boy who had the surgery to become a girl and then had the surgery to go back to being a boy um, because that really didn't help solve the issues. And the university decided that that study would be too politically incorrect and risk giving the university a bad name among transgender activists if they pursued the study. So they cut funding for it. Because you can't have a scientific study of the scientific results of what actually happens to people who have sex reassignment surgery when it doesn't actually help them. What do they do? You can't actually study that because it may lead you to the conclusion that, in fact, transgenderism is a mental issue. It's not a physical, biological issue of any kind, it, it, it possibly a chemical issue within the brain. You can't have a study on that because people may actually report it, and it may come across as, as suggesting that this issue is something other than what is claimed by its activists. It's the same with this church story. A young Sudanese immigrant who unlawfully acquires a gun is stopped by a lawful concealed carry permit holder who's 22 years old. We can't report on stuff like that in the press. You're just, you're not allowed to because it rocks too much conventional wisdom. It shakes up the narrative too much. So we got to move on to other things. Well, they do. I don't, but I will because I've covered this. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Fifty-four after the hour. I got a text message from a buddy of mine who's subscribing to the podcast. If you were here earlier, I mentioned... um, if you're particularly a person of faith, if you're a Christian, what the heck is going on with all these protests? And it just the world seeming like it's lost its ever-living mind. Uh, from just a faith perspective, what's happening? Um, what, where, where does where does Scripture come into play here? What can you do about it? What do you need to worry about for your kids and family and, and raising your kids and your local community where everything is politicized and people are more and more hostile? I, I did a podcast on this for you. Um, we're not attaching it to the show. It's a standalone item. You can go to iTunes or Google play to get it. Uh, if you want to subscribe to it and sign up for the daily email, text the word show S H O W to four, 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 nine, nine, nine. Now what's going to happen. This was the question from a friend. The system I use is called textable and it will send a text message back from a different number asking for your email address, text show to four, 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 nine, nine, nine. You're going to get an email back from a separate number. 
and is going to ask for your email address. When you send off your email address, uh, you'll get subscribed to the daily email and uh, it'll send you back links for iTunes and Google Play. So if you're on an iPhone, you can click the iTunes link. If you're on an Android device, click the Google link and you can get the podcast or go home and just put in Eric Erickson show. It'll come up. Um, but I had a lot of people ask me to, to talk about it from just a faith perspective. What is happening in the country today? And what should we be mindful of with our kids? So I did that, and you are more than welcome to it, completely free. Uh, the other thing I want to tell you is thank you all for the pre-orders for my book. Uh, they're doing well. When we come back, I don't want to talk about the book. I want to talk about the NFL with you. We will start taking your phone calls for your opinion on the NFL protests at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. I also want to spend time next hour on Puerto Rico. Earlier today, I asked the writers at The Resurgent to stop writing about anything except Puerto Rico because it is not getting a lot of media coverage. There are some stories trickling out now. The reason it's taking so long to get these stories out is because they're completely without power down there, by and large. 87% of the agricultural crops of Puerto Rico are gone. In some cases, plantain trees are bent over, broken, and dying. In other cases, as reading a New York Times story, where a farmer literally lost his entire cornfield. Not because the corn died or was better, but literally, it's lost. It's gone. It is no longer in the ground. The wind blew so hard, it pulled the corn stalks up from the ground and blew them away to somewhere that he can't find. Uh, it is a real natural disaster out there. We'll be back to talk about that and take your calls on the NFL. It's 10 after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. And we will open the phone lines this hour uh, so you can voice your opinion on the NFL protests. Uh, the ratings are down. It was very funny to watch liberals expect that there would be massive ratings gains for the NFL. This would be good for the NFL. But it's not the case. The ratings are down for the NFL. The ratings are continuing to decline. Now, here's the thing, y'all. ESPN, CBS, NBC, ABC, and the NFL, and Fox, they all have data showing people don't like the protests. Now, I am not someone who believes that anyone should be forced to stand and salute the American flag. Because I believe that the values of the country that the flag represents represent a freedom of speech that is robust enough to let people not do that. 
I don't believe in the authoritarianism creeping in among some Republicans and so-called conservatives who believe that if you don't stand for the flag, you should be thrown in jail. And there are people who claim to be conservatives who believe that. That's not conservative. That's authoritarianism, if not totalitarianism, in a view. That is something that progressivism would inculcate over time. If you don't want to stand, don't stand. But I don't have to watch either. You can't make me watch, nor can you make me celebrate uh, someone protesting the American flag. Uh, These people are millionaire liberals who could not do this in any other country, who could not become uh, millionaire liberals playing football in any other country. You would think they would love the country that is provided for them, but they don't. And it is their right to not. And it is my obligation to support their right to not, even if I disagree with it. But that doesn't mean I have to subsidize. It doesn't mean that I have to pay for it. It doesn't mean that I have to watch. It doesn't mean that I have to applaud. It just means they got a right to do it, so let them be. The president, too, though, has a right to complain. The president, too, though, has a right to point out that these people are ungrateful. The The president has a right to point out that these people are politicizing a sport uh, where people f- try to find common ground, where they, they are dragging politics into everything. And they have the audacity to say that the president's the one dragging politics into it when they're the ones who started it. It's really funny that these people think they have a right to protest, but the president doesn't have the right to speak out against it. Yes, he does. He doesn't have the right to do anything about it, but he's got the right to speak out against it, just like they have the right to speak out. It is really funny. I mentioned this last hour. Charlie's actually the one who brought it up that all these people who just a week ago were ready to boycott the NFL because Colin Kaepernick can't find a job. And now they're doubling down on we got to support the NFL. Roger Godell is in the perfect position over this. I, I really think they ought to get rid of Godell, but that's another subject. Okay. I want to go to the phones now. The 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. Melissa up in Cobb County, you're going to be first. Welcome. Oh, thank you for taking my call, Mr. Erickson. Sure. Um, my comment is that these young men have never given anything in sacrifice to uh, to appreciate really what they're sitting down for. They have no idea because they're, uh, they've never uh, served in the military. They've never served as police officers. They're, you know, they're very young. They have no experience. So I, I don't understand why there is such a uh, unity when, you know, there's no understanding of what they're doing here for themselves. Well, I think that is a great point. And I also think it's very interesting that uh, the ones who did serve in the military were the ones who were out there standing. Take Al Villanova, the Steelers, all the Steelers sat in the locker room. He went outside and stood up, put his hand over his heart, and his coach blasted him for doing it, saying he was undermining team unity for doing it. But then Al Villanova has served repeatedly three tours, I think, in Afghanistan. Good for him. His jersey is the number one selling jersey. Among NFL football players today, Al Villanova of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Good for him. The fact that the coach went after him is ridiculous. And, you know, it, that reminds me, um, where is, where did, uh, da, 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 da. yes, uh, John Nolte over at Breitbart pointed these these out. Um, in September 2016, three NFL players planned to wear 
cleats in honor of the 15th anniversary of the September 11th attacks, and the NFL said no. They threatened to fine them. In 1986, an NFL player was fined $5,000 for wearing a headband with a company logo on it. In 2015, the NFL fined a player $5,757 for wearing eye black that reads, Find the Cure in support of breast cancer awareness. In July of last year, in honor of five police officers murdered in cold blood by a Black Lives Matter activist, the Dallas Cowboys wanted to honor the slain Dallas officers with a helmet decal, and the NFL said no. Then there's all the, the fines for expressing yourself on the field. There's the fine of the guy whose mother had cancer, um, and he, he wore something to honor his mother, and yet they're going to allow this absolutely uh, biased, biased NFL. Just liberals. Back to the phones. Christine and Johns Creek, you're next. Welcome. Hi there. Um, something I want to point out is, you know, the NFL is a workplace, and and I'm, I'm not allowed to do any of that kind of stuff at my workplace. I don't think Home Depot, when Arthur Blank ran it, or to this day, allows that kind of stuff. And I don't want to go into Home Depot and see that kind of thing. I don't want to see that on a football field either. I don't want to go to a concert that does that. Yeah, you know, I, I just, I don't want a politicized football game. And that's what they're no. doing. They're, they're taking my distraction and they're turning it into their cause. Yes. And if, if they want to go do that outside on the, you know, outside of the playing field, go ahead. But I don't want to see that. Yeah, I look, I completely agree with you, Christine. It, it is, they're taking, they're taking what is entertainment for me, a sport, and they're bringing politics into it when I'm looking at it as, as a way out. That one of the things that I, I write about in my book is is this, the politicization of everything. We all need a way out of it. Not everything is supposed to be political. And Megan Kelly, by the way, congrats to her. She launched her show today, um, her Today Show bit, and doesn't want it to be political, wants to cover other stuff. Good for her. Uh, very good for her. Oh, hang on a second. There's some breaking news at this moment. Uh, Susan Collins has come out firmly against the Republican uh, Cassidy Graham health care bill in the last five minutes, saying there is nothing they can do to get her on board, effectively killing Republican efforts to repeal Obamacare, which, let's be really honest, folks, despite the claims, it wasn't going to repeal it anyway. At least it's the moderates doing it. No one can say the conservatives got in the way. We'll be back with more of your phone calls after these commercials. Remember, you can text the word SHOW, S-H-O-W, to 444-999, sign up for the daily email, and get links to the Google Play and iTunes versions of the podcast, uh, wherein you will get a standalone podcast today. It's already there if you want to go look for it. Uh, on if you're a Christian, what the heck is going on with all this stuff? How should you look at it from a faith perspective? And uh, what about your kids and all this stuff? Because, you know, they're, they're the left, secularism, it's coming for your kids. It's not really coming for you. It's give, uh, given up on you. It's coming for your kids. So I talk about that in the podcast. Uh, text show to 444-999. Let's go back to the phones. Daryl in Atlanta, you're next. Welcome. Hey, how's it going? Hey, I got the question I got for you is, what if we had uh, a lot of the players that were, could be recruited from overseas that actually want to take advantage of what America has to offer? I wouldn't have a problem with that. I mean, that that's what soccer does. <gasps> Should I even compare it? <laughs> the NBA does it. 
mean, yeah. why not? I mean, they, they have opportunities here. They, they want to take advantage of it. It's not like they produce a product. They play a game. Yeah, but I wonder if size is a thing. Are, are there any? Is there any other country on earth that that raises linebackers the size of American linebackers? That that may be the one concern. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, they, they could go over to Fiji and get some sumo wrestlers. True. Yep, they could do that. I mean, why not? I mean, the Major League Baseball goes to Japan, uh, Costa Rica, Venezuela. It gets baseball players. American football is a somewhat unique product, uh, not commonly played everywhere. But why not? That is a great idea, Daryl. Why not? If we're going to have a, a bunch of spoiled millionaires uh, trying to bring politics into the game. And listen, again, I, I, I cannot emphasize this enough. If they want to bring politics into the game, they have every right to do it. But I have every right to tune out and stop watching. And the question is, are more people going to cheer them on or stop watching? And the answer is, we already know from the ratings, people are going to stop watching. Um, they are going to to murder their goose that laid their golden egg. And if they're okay with that, that's fine. Uh, there are other ways to protest. You know, a buddy of mine texted me last night and said, why don't they just send um why don't they allow them to wear something to protest the players who want to protest make them stand for the for the anthem but then let them wear something to protest and not fine them for it um that way they can have their protest without us dragging politics into all of it we can see by the networks who zooms in but that's it you know the, the networks don't even have to cover the kneeling the networks can focus on the singer who's singing the anthem or what have you they don't have to focus on the players they can shift it but they don't want to because the media is so obsessed with hating Donald Trump. I mean, just consider this. Donald Trump is dictating the media's coverage of everything and everyone's on their knees in front of Donald Trump. That doesn't look like he's losing this argument at all. Looks like he's winning it. It is 40 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. So the history, let, let me give you the history of the Star Spangled Banner in sports. Um, it, you can blame the Chicago Cubs or, or praise. I'm wearing my Chicago Cubs t-shirt right now. You should know. Um, sorry. I know. And I got to go to SunTrust Field and I still haven't. But yeah, you, you can't take the Cubs fan out of me. I've been one since I was a kid. Um, even though I'm not from Chicago. So in the 19, late 1800s, early 1900s, sporting events typically started with a band playing music. And it was typically a military march of some kind, eventually heading into John Philip Sousa territory. And it was the way to focus the crowd on the start that it was time to calm down. They didn't have PA systems. So people would hear the band and they would calm down and they would know it's time to focus your attention on the game. Then World War I happened. And after World War I, soldiers and sailors are coming home. 100,000 Americans are dead. And the country seems, well, rife with violence. There are riots. There's a bombing in Chicago during the World Series that year. And they had been playing John Philip Sousa marches to start the World Series that year, 1918, the Cubs versus Red Sox. 
And when the game moved to Boston from uh, Chicago, during the seventh inning stretch, uh, the Navy band was there led by Sousa. And he fired up his version of the Star Spangled Banner. It wouldn't become the national anthem for years later. This was 1918. It wouldn't become the national anthem until 1931. But when it happened, Red Sox infielder Fred Thompson, he had been in the Navy. He had been given a furlough from the Navy to play in the World Series. And when the Star Spangled Banner struck up, he stopped in the middle of the game turned towards the American flag and gave a naval salute and stood there until others. Other players turned to the flag with their hands over their heart. The song concluded, again, there had been a bombing in Chicago the day before, and the other players, they all turned and put their hand over their heart. The ones who had been furloughed from the military to play in the World Series saluted, and the crowd went wild. And the Red Sox gave free tickets to all the veterans at the end of, or at the right before game six. And so other baseball parks, because the, the crowd went wild with it, they started doing it. The Red Sox owners started making it a regular at Boston. The, the, the Chicago Cubs started making it regular there. After it became the national anthem, well, other sports picked it up and football picked it up. In 1954, Baltimore Orioles general manager Arthur Ellers was complaining that the fans were being disrespectful during the anthem. And so what he did is he made it a big spectacle. He would bring in a celebrity so they would focus on the celebrity as they played the anthem. That's why we. it wasn't always a, a tradition. It has been since that World Series in 1918. And it quickly spread from there into other sports. But prior to that, there was always just a song at the beginning to get everyone to redirect their attention from their friends to what's happening in the stadium uh, to the game. And the song was the transition, and that became the national anthem. And ultimately, through wars, it became a way to rally people to remind them that you, you may like the Cubs, you may like the Braves, you may like the Red Sox, whatever. We're all Americans right here under one flag playing this game in the greatest country on earth. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people, including some on the field with their knees, uh, that don't view this as the greatest country on earth anymore. That's sad. Let's see. I'm going to go Greg and Swanee. Welcome. Thank you, Eric. That's a great story. And I'm a former police officer in the Washington, D.C. area. I was shot in the line of duty, and I have a military purple heart that a, a general awarded me and I, uh, for doing that, and I, it's my greatest possession. But what I want to say is I wonder how many of the players know the history of the flag. I understand the flag, and I wonder how many of the players understand it and know it and what it stands for and what they're doing. Did they forget about Pat Tillman and the sacrifices that he made? And, and that's just one example of one of their own that you can point out. I wonder how many of the players would do this. If you said to them, go ahead and stand, but why don't you really make a statement and donate the game check for today to the cause that you most are celebrating uh, if you really want to stand behind it and see how many of the players would do that. Well, you know, that's not a bad idea. And, you know, part of it, though, honestly, is because 
during the Black Lives Matters protests of last year, one of the Black Lives Matters activists began spreading the mythology, and it is a myth, that there's a pro-slavery reference in the Star-Spangled Banner. And there is a reference to slavery in the Star-Spangled Banner, uh, but it was taken out of context by left-wing activists who wanted to stir up this trouble. Let me read you guys uh, this line here. This is the third stanza of the Star-Spangled Banner. And where is that band who so vauntingly swore that the havoc of war and the battle's confusion, a home and a country, should leave us no more? Their blood has washed out their foul footsteps' pollution. No refuge could save the hireling and slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave. And the star-spangled banner and triumph doth wave over the land of the free and the home of the brave. That slavery, chattel slavery of the United States is not actually the reference in the third stanza. You see, the Star-Spangled Banner was written in the War of 1812, and one of the grievances of the war that Americans had against Great Britain is that they were abducting American sailors and impressing them into the British military. They were serving essentially as slaves on British ships. And that's what he's referencing him here is that the Americans were bombing the British ships so successfully and sinking them that there was no refuge for the hireling, that is the mercenary on the British ship, or the slave, that is the American forced to work there from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave and the star-spangled banner and triumph doth wave. That's what Francis Scott Key meant, but American leftists with no sense of history who did not care and were maliciously trying to stir up trouble claimed that it was some sort of celebratory reference against actual slavery, not the impressment of Americans during the War of 1812. It is 56 after the hour. Uh, don't forget you can subscribe to the podcast and the show notes by texting SHOW to 444999. Uh, and you can pre-order my book. It comes out a week from tomorrow by texting WAKE, W-A-K-E, to 444999. Um, and I'll send an email out in the show notes as well. Uh, before I get out of here, you know, you should take a knee for Puerto Rico. Uh, you really should uh, be in prayer for that uh, island. It is devastated. I, I just saw on Twitter a snapshot from last night in Puerto Rico with clear skies. Uh, the satellite of the uh, there are virtually no lights shining on that island that just three months ago was brightly lit. Uh, be in pa- prayer for Puerto Rico. They could use a lot of help. Um, they they need it, folks.